0: Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Mark 11, 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to him, Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning, Hill City. My name is Brad, the lead teaching pastor here. So I'm going to take you with me, if you don't mind, earlier this week. Man, I love, I love spring mornings. Anyone else love spring mornings? Just There's got to be a couple of us here. So I'm just going to take you with me to my back deck. So just let's do this. Can we do this? So it's, it's chilly outside. Little, it's spring morning, cup of coffee. I'm sitting there alone, uh, just, just, just outside looking at trees, watching the wind blow a little bit, um, and a bird comes and sits on the railing of, of my deck. Um, and, and nearly could have just reached out and touched it. Um, and it began to sing. Now, for the bird nerds in the room, which I'm not one, but I owe it to you to let you know that this was a house finch. Um, so if you know what that song is, maybe you don't, but here's what we're going to do I want you to close your eyes. Now, go to your spot, your spring morning spot. If you don't have one, you're sitting next to me on my back deck, and I want you to hear the song of a house finch. This is, listen, in that moment, I I stopped and I said, I said, Lord, I don't know if I've ever done this, but I sure don't remember the last time that I've just thanked you for birds and that they sing to us. So then I thought, wait a minute, the the sun's out. like, Lord, I don't know when I've just stopped and said thank you for the sunshine and then i didn't stop there like the four rascals started to wake up and i'm like lord when's the last time i've just said thank you for my kids and then and then i and i didn't stop there and then i thought i started thinking even longer and harder about my wife and i'm like man what am i doing like that i haven't stopped and just said thank you lord for this woman And I didn't stop because I was in this passage in Mark. And Lord, when have I just stopped and just said, thank you for Jesus? I'm telling you, I had a killer week because that is what gratitude will do. We are entering our summer of Easter. It has been my prayer over you as we continue in Mark that all summer that we will just look to Jesus and have a renewed sense of gratitude for what He has done. Because He's done it all. So bow our heads. I'm going to ask you to join me in asking that same thing. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We ask that you would open our eyes so that we could behold awesome things from your word. God, And I ask that your word would cause the people of Hill City to be so thankful and so grateful for you. And then that, God, if that would happen, that would just only spill over into all other areas of our lives. Make it happen by the power of your spirit. It's in Jesus' name. I pray. Amen. So here we are, Mark chapter 11, and we will be uh, in Mark chapter 11 through 16 all summer. And this, this chunk of scripture is the final week of Jesus's life. All those chapters, 11 through 16, covers one Week. Mark is very intentional about giving a huge chunk of his gospel to the final week. Quite literally, 37%, almost 40% of the gospel of Mark is given to the final week of Jesus' life. It is absolutely an appropriate and important disproportionate emphasis put on the last week. And what we must see is that Jesus is the faithful king. What did I just say? That is as weak as I've ever heard Hill City people be. Jesus is a faithful king. What did I just say? That means a lot for us. Why? Because it's only the faithfulness of Jesus that will sustain us and sustain a relationship with him. The disciples have screwed this up along every step of the way. This final week, they will screw it up once again. And you might be thinking, man, Jesus is probably like, what the heck did I do? Why did I choose these people? I messed up choosing these guys. And he never thought that. He never was sorry that he chose these guys. And you need to hear this morning, he's not sorry that he chose you. It's his faithfulness that sustains this. That should stir in us some gratitude. 37% given to this final week of his life, this final trek to the cross. The cross of Jesus always deserves this much attention. Just just listen. How is evil defeated? You ever thought about the question? How is evil defeated? Someone always has to suffer in order for evil to be defeated. Listen, if you are not overwhelmed with gratitude... At what Jesus did. I am telling you, I love you, I have got nothing else for you. I can blow smoke and get you fired up about stuff that means nothing. I won't do it. I've got nothing for you. So here we are, the final week. Let's give you some context. The the population of the Holy Land, it would grow from roughly 500 to 600,000 to 2 to 3 million in this uh, particular week. It is said that over 255,000 lambs would have been slaughtered during this time in order for people to hope that their sins would be forgiven. Of course, we know, Hill City, that the blood of these lambs or bulls or goats, they cannot, it cannot forgive sins. The blood of these lambs, they could not defeat evil. Someone would have to suffer in order for that to happen. So we pick up. And in verse 1 of chapter 11, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, uh, to Bethpage and, and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples. Now listen, you can go read in John about, this, uh, about what happened in, Be- in Bethpage and Bethany for time's sake. Uh, We're not going to talk about that. I just want to draw attention to the fact that the disciples are still very much a part of Mark's presentation here. They drew near to Jerusalem. Jesus sent two of his disciples. So the disciples are still right there with Jesus. And we pick up in verse 2 through 6. And he gives them some instructions. Go into the village. In front of you. And immediately as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing, untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Listen, this is weird. This is just a weird passage of scripture. What is going on here? What is Mark doing? And I want you to see this. We teach this to your kids, but this isn't some kid lesson. We have to understand this foundational truth. And here it is if you're writing this down, this is huge. God is in charge of everything. That's what we are seeing here with Jesus. He is planning this entrance. And he's doing it very precisely. This this entrance is not an accident. This entrance on this donkey, it is not impulsive. God is sovereign over everything. And he's showing us right here in this passage and he goes and he's going to get a donkey and why is he doing this so deliberately here it is you need to know what's happening for the first time in the life of Jesus he is deliberately identifying himself publicly as the Messiah this is the first time how do we know this let's just look back uh, some theologians call it the, the messianic secret, right? Where Jesus is doing all these miracles and he'd always be like, Don't tell anybody, right? Don't tell anyone. And even in Mark chapter 8, where Peter says, You are the Messiah. And 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 Mark writes it this way, he says, and Jesus strictly charged them, don't tell anybody. Right? You can go back to Jesus' first miracle. Do you read about this in John where, where his mom comes like, hey, we're out of wine. And it seems like he's being rude, but he's not. He's like, "Woman, what does this have to do with me? My time has not come." And Jesus does this all throughout His ministry. Not anymore. Here we are, the last week of His life. He's He's coming in, and whatever is left of Jesus concealing who He was and why He came, whatever is left of that, it's over. That's what's happening with this donkey. He arranges this, he is the mastermind behind all of it. God is in charge of everything, like company. and many spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches and they had that they had cut from the fields and those who went before and those who followed were shouting hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord blessed is the coming blessed is the coming kingdom of our father david hosanna in the highest jesus publicly proclaims that he is the messiah and what do we see he gets on this donkey he is not walking Listen, for for all of Mark, everywhere he's gone, he has been walking, not here. He is actually riding, and he's riding this donkey alone. No one is riding this donkey with him. This matters. Uh, uh, One of the Gospels say he is riding a beast of burden. Yes, he is. Now, here's what I need you to do. He's riding a beast of burden. He's riding alone. Let's remember that. Let's put that in our back pocket. Okay? Jesus comes into Jerusalem the most humble way because our king is a perfect picture of perfect humility. And in the same breath, you need to know, Jesus was aiming to be noticed. Why was he doing that? He was seeing to it that Zechariah chapter 9 was being fulfilled. This passage of scripture that was written 500 years before this scene says this. It'll be on the screen. Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey, and for 500 years that prophecy went unfulfilled until today, and Jesus rides. So listen, I need you to do this with me. We just practiced a little bit earlier, I need you to do it again. Can we all please just go to this scene, Jesus on a donkey. People everywhere. They're throwing branches. They're taking off their jackets and throwing them down. Just can we go here? Tons of people. Please even ask God to help put you here in this scene. This is Jesus Christ. This is God in the flesh. This is the creator of the world. This is the king of kings. And he's riding on a lowly, slow, unimpressive, untamed donkey. Alone. See, see, in this time period, the modern Messianic expectation would be a way more honorable entry. You, you wouldn't ride a donkey, you would ride in on, on a war horse, a very impressive animal, and you would do this specifically to rival Roman glory. Put yourself here, world time place. Rome was in charge. The Messiah would need to come in and rival that Roman military power. Not our king. Hill City, not our king. What are are the people doing? Don't miss it. What are all the people doing? Throwing branches down, throwing their jackets down. They're they're having this, they're having a praise and worship service. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And we read this out of Psalm 118 in our call to worship This is exactly what they were doing. But listen, you can't miss this. What is happening? What are they doing? What is happening on this scene? Are you still with me here in this scene? Jesus planned this entry in detail. He's writing alone. Because, because, listen, this stretch of the path of our king, see, it had to be traveled alone. He is going somewhere. We've been talking about this all through Mark. He is headed somewhere. He's always been going somewhere. He's going there immediately, immediately. Jesus is going somewhere and he's going to the cross and here he is. He's on this donkey alone because he had to be alone because he's going to a cross and no one else is holy enough to take this ride. So stop. Are you grateful? It's the King of Kings. Are you grateful? So he's on his donkey, he's riding in this triumphal entry, and he and he gets in, and he and he's in the city, and and. and doesn't seem so triumphal kind of anticlimactic this triumphal entry is nothing like what was expected because this entry wasn't so triumphal by cultural definitions. Oh, I want you to get this. This entry. We need to see it for what it is. We need to see this entry for what it was. And here's what this entry was. This entry was a death march. And Jesus knew it. He knew that this ride would get him killed. No more secrets. (laughs) He's saying, I am the Messiah. And he knew it would get him killed. Our king. Listen, I can't overstate it. I can't say it too many times. Our king. He rides in and it's planned. And he knew it would get him killed. And he knew that it would get him killed for sinners like me and like you, i got to ask once again, are you grateful? And the whole scene just concludes on this anti-climactic note. Listen, Jesus doesn't ride in and get off and give some inspirational speech. He doesn't come in, he doesn't even he doesn't lift one finger against Rome. What does he do? And he entered Jerusalem and he went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. What's really happening here? Jesus, he comes to the temple. And it's as if he he looks around at at this temple, his temple, and and, and says, Listen, is this place fulfilling its purpose? What was the temple? Those of you who've been in church, you know this is like this is the this is the 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 epicenter of Jewish life. And Jesus shows up as if to look around and say, What's going on here? Is what is what is what is happening here? Is this is this what should be happening here? And I believe in this moment that Jesus is absolutely grieved at what he sees. Malachi chapter 3 says this The Lord will suddenly come to his temple. He's here. The Lord is here and he's at his temple. And he isn't happy with what he sees. He shows up to his temple, something stinks. Something isn't right at his temple. And he looks at the temple and listen, without a doubt, Jesus knew this. He knew in one week, this temple would become irrelevant in the eyes of God the Father. And let me tell you, this is day one. Tomorrow he's going to come back and he's going to, on purpose, just be flipping tables and causing a scene. And he knew that would get him killed. What do we do with this? Let's get really practical. Start by asking Mark, what is Mark doing here with this passage, this this odd passage? Mark is doing something here. And that's the first thing we need to ask. What is it that that Mark would want his readers to get and what is it that Mark might want us to get here in this space today? I'm going to give you three things. This is a pretty big deal. Here's what you need to see. Mark has a warning for us that we would not mistake enthusiasm for faith, and popularity for discipleship. Hill City, let's not do that. All the crowds, they knew, all, they knew their Bibles. They knew how to sing worship songs. Oh, they were enthusiastic, weren't they? Let's not mistake that for faith. The same crowd singing worship songs. The same crowd quoting their Bible verses right there in front of everybody all together. This very same crowd would shout something very different in one week. The same crowd. Why would they do that? How does that happen? You ever think about that? How does that happen? How are you coming in throwing your coat on the ground, letting a donkey walk on it? Singing, Blessed is he who comes in the name, of the Lord. How do you go from that to kill him in one week? Here's the answer. Might we be warned this morning? Jesus did not meet their expectations. Here's something else we need to get from this passage today. A surefire way to self destruction is to cheer Jesus Christ as king, so long as he meets my expectations of how he should be a king. That is trouble. That's what happened here. They loved Jesus who filled their bellies with food when they were hungry. They loved a Jesus that healed their diseases. But that part that Jesus said about, I'm going to die, and if you're going to follow me, you're going to die too. They didn't love that. That went against their worldview. As the old 90s saying goes, Hill City, what had happened was, listen, they created, as we might do at times too, they created a give me what I want and what I expect Messiah. That's what happened here. A gift, it, it, That's the Messiah that the athletes and the musicians worship on tv in case you're wondering most of them give me what i want and what i expect and as long as that happens praise you they wanted a made-up messiah a made-up jesus and the serious question of the day is hill city church if you're visiting we're pumped that you're here but i'm talking to hill city They wanted a made-up Messiah. Do we? we got to wrestle with that. I couldn't find even who to give credit to for this saying because a bunch of dudes said it. But here it goes. Here's the saying. God created us in his image, and we decided to return the favor. I'm not gonna say it nearly as good as Tim Keller would say, but Tim Keller would always teach uh, something on the lines of this a Jesus of our own making. See, the, the Jesus that we make up in our minds, he can't contradict us. So that's why we make him up in our own mind. But the problem with the Jesus that we make up in our own mind that can't contradict us, that same kind of Jesus, he also can't help us. That's a fake Jesus. That Jesus can't change us from the inside out. So maybe you're here. There's got to be one or two of you, and you are here in this place, and you're actually wrestling with following Jesus. Do I give my life to him? Because when you see Jesus, you're not sure that you want to follow him because you know that in doing so, this Jesus that you see right in front of you, you know that in following this Jesus, it means that you're going to lose all control. If that's the Jesus that's in front of you, you found him. That's him. That's the real one. Oh, follow him. One poet, W.H. Auden, said this. I think this is very profound. He said, I believe in Jesus because he fulfills none of my dreams. Because he's in every respect the opposite of what he would be if I could make him in my own image. Listen, Jesus is not a savior and a king that anyone could have made up. He showed us this with his life. He showed us this with this entry. He's going to show us this with his death. The same poet goes on to say this. Now get this. Thus, if a Christian is asked, why Jesus, And not Socrates or Buddha or Confucius or Muhammad. Perhaps all he can say is, none of the others arouse all sides of my being to cry, crucify him. Now let me give you the greatest news that you're ever going to hear in your life. The crowds are here. They expected something very, very different. They expected, and as long as their Messiah delivered what they expected, they stayed hyped. That's why we don't put a lot of stock in hype here. But once their Messiah didn't meet their expectations? Hmm. They were gone. And very soon they would request him dead. Now, here's the greatest news you're going to have. Not. Listen, Jesus, he knew that the crowds, he knew what they wanted. And instead of destroying them which he could have done in a word he saw to it that he would be destroyed. For sinners like you and like me. That is the path of our king. So will we be as the poet and be grateful that he isn't a king of our dreams that we would make up or will we be like the crowds here in this passage they're going to get angry when he wasn't the king that they dreamed up if you're serving communion I would like you to now get up and head to your stations I want you to prepare the meal Jesus is in charge of everything, and he saw to it that he would be destroyed, and he saw to it that he would be destroyed on a cross, and this is what we come to the table to celebrate, to re- remember, and this meal that we're getting ready to take part in, it is a meal for believers, those of us, we've experienced the kindness of our King, we've responded to that grace with faith and repentance. And we come with gratitude, joyfully to the table. Amen, Hill City? But I had you put something in your back pocket and I need you to get it out. I want you to stand. Jesus rides in on a lowly, untamed donkey alone. Remember this? Oh, I got some really, really good news. Really, really good news. And as a matter of responsibility, I have to share this good news with you. Our King will ride again. It will look something like this. Then I saw heaven opened up and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. He is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I love you so much that I got to tell you, when that ride happens, it will be too late to pick sides He offers forgiveness today. Oh, isn't he so awesome? Isn't that, what a grace. Today he offers forgiveness, but he will not always. And I'm asking you, please, maybe there's a couple of you here. Do not treat his kindness and his gentleness lightly. This King of kings, this Lord of lords, he died. He died for you and me. So I'll ask one final time. Are you grateful? I'm so grateful. It's the greatest news you'll ever hear in your life. And Jesus, we are grateful. What other reason is there to come and gather and sing and praise and dance and laugh and come to the table? What other reason than you, King of kings, Lord of lords, that we love you? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.